0: Who is Jesus, what is he doing, and what does it mean to follow him in the world today? My name is Matt Lewis, this is The Follower Podcast, and everyone is invited to the conversation. Um, hello everybody, and welcome to The Follower Podcast. Man, it's good to be back with you guys, and in your ear holes. What a time to be alive, hey? And uh, I'm here in Germany And uh, I'm not in my Hobbit kitchen anymore, I'm in a fancier kitchen. This one's nice, it's got tiles and big windows, there's light happening and the reason I'm in a fancier kitchen is because I'm actually in the kitchen of two people, Tom and Donna Cole. Hello guys. Hello there. Welcome to the Follow-Up Podcast. Thank you. So good to have you guys. And Thank you for having me in your kitchen.
1: Yes.
0: Uh, So you guys can imagine what's going on, we're at this really nice black table, very nicely done. Got some bananas in front of me, uh, apple, and two pears. It's going down, and we got some water, and we and it's a it's a good day. It's a good day in the follower podcast, Tom and Donna Cole Kitchen. So the reason that we have Tom and Donna on the show is because, uh, as you guys know, I've been doing this discipleship training school with YWAM. Every week, different speakers and different people come to teach. And last week we had this guy, Dan Bauman. Shout out, Dan, if you're listening, watch yeah. out. I love you, Dan. Do you guys want to say something to Dan? Yeah, if you're we miss you,
1: Dan, and we love you, and I hope our paths cross again soon. Yeah. thanks for doing
2: what you do. Yeah. yeah,
0: thank you, Dan. Amazing. Dan, I want you to know, I can't walk anywhere without just hearing the words, Jesus in my. Yes. You're a good man, so thanks, Dan. And uh, so last week we had Dan. And this week, we've been uh, with Tom and Donna, and they've been running this week called Pure Heart. Uh, we'll get into all of it and my kind of experience of it and things that I think will be helpful for you in it. But um, essentially, what I would say is Pure Heart is exactly what its name says. It's seeking to go to the depths and bring purity to that place that is central to who we are. Think about uh, the Proverbs says, above all things, guard your heart. Because from your heart flows everything else, right? And so there's this purity that starts to happen. And so there's this place of deep healing. And so they've been leading us through a week of this kind of healing. And I thought it would be so good to get them on the show and just really have a conversation about their stories, about stuff that stuck out out to me this week. And then hopefully that can be helpful to you. So uh, Tom and Don, you do this thing called Pure Heart. Can you tell us from your perspective,
1: what what is pure heart? How would you describe it? Uh, Well, pure heart came out of actually our own brokenness. So Donnan and I were broken, jacked up, messed up people. And as a result of that, uh, both of us came to know Christ and follow him, but we were still incredibly broken. And so we had to, to learn how to walk that out and find Christ as our healer, not just savior, you know, he saves us from our sin, but he actually heals us, and he works from the inside out. Um, We tend to want to clean the outside first on people and then work inside, and I find that Jesus tends to clean us from the inside out, and so he took us through a lot of healing ourselves, and through that, we started ministering to other people, and over the years, we developed, like, what are the eight most important lessons um, for us that we need to to look at and find healing from those particular wounds. So there's eight lessons in pure Heart, And it really is, it's taken from the the Beatitudes. So there's a Beatitude for each of the eight chapters. um, And then we teach those lessons, and then we ask God to come And heal our brokenness and so that's what we do
2: yeah yeah there's a great exchange that happens he said he'll give us beauty for ashes the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness he wants to exchange our hurt and pain with his love and with his healing power and through our lives we've come to realize he can do just that it's amazing but he can Mm -hmm. amazing
0: and how, how long have you been doing pure heart
1: um, we've been doing Pure Heart with that name since 2007. Um, but we've been doing very similar ministry since 1994.
0: Wonderful. Yeah. And I, I didn't ask you this in advance, so uh, take a moment. But if you look back over that time of ministry, maybe can you share one story like a highlight moment where you saw God really break through into someone's life? Something that maybe stands out for you over those years. Someone who was maybe carrying a bit of pain or carrying a bit of something. And you just felt like God broke through into that person's Yeah, life. I have one. Right? Yeah.
2: So there was this woman who was um, verbally and sexually abused in, and physically abused in every way by her parents and her grandmothers and grandfathers, so both sets. So we were ministering to her, and she was just asking God, where? were you during all that pain? It was one of the most awful stories I've heard of abuse. And you think in your mind, yes, God, where were you? This is just so terrible. And Tom kept getting this picture of a long hallway with a closet at the end of this hallway upstairs. You open the door and there's a window in the closet and a rocking chair. And he thought, well, that's just so strange. Nobody would have a window and a rocking chair in a closet. This doesn't make any sense. So he pushed it aside, pushed it aside. Um, She's still asking God, where were you? And then finally, Tom said, you know, this just won't leave me. And he describes the scene, and she just starts crying. They lived in an A-frame house. After uh, whoever got done abusing her, she'd go upstairs. There was a long hallway. There was a closet with that window, and she'd sit in that rocking chair and just rock. And the Lord was showing her, I was there with you when you wept. I was there when you just didn't know what else to do. I was there holding you in my arms. It meant so much to her to know that Jesus was with her. People will use their free will wrongly. It was never God's will for that, those parents to do those things or their, her grandparents. We know it says, fathers, don't provoke your children to anger. It says, uh, husbands, lay down your life for your wives. God tells us how we're to raise our children. That's how, why we know it was not God's will. But in Romans 8, he said he will work all things together for the good. It never says he causes everything, but he will work it together for our good. And now that woman knows God in the deep places of her heart. She radiates the joy of God. And one day with for all eternity, he will wipe every tear from her eyes. In fact, that's the same time the Lord showed me because she was also wondering why was she born in this family? I also came from a lot of abuse and I always wondered, why did God put me in this family? And at this time, the Lord also showed me that it took her mother and her father, that sperm and that egg, those two, that, that set of DNA to create her. So his choice was either allow her to be created or, and her to exist or not to exist. And he'd rather love her and have her exist, even though for a season she'd go through such pain and heartache, for a season she would accuse God over what happened to her, for a season she wouldn't understand. But in the end, he knew she would come to him and it was worth it to him. It was worth it for her to exist because one day for all eternity, billions and billions of years, she might have 80 to a hundred years of pain on this earth, but one day she will live for eternity with her father and he'd rather her exist than not, not exist. And some people out there might be wondering the same thing. Well, God loved you enough that he'd rather you exist than not exist. Mm. Yeah. Mm.
0: As you were talking, I just felt uh, to really highlight that someone's listening. And as you're describing that story, they're going, that's my story. Uh, how, would you, how would you give them hope? What would, you, what would you share with them to, to put some hope in them?
2: To first of all, to realize that God is a good God. And he absolutely is not like our earthly parents or the people that have wounded you. He's always there for us. The enemy wants us to agree with him as the accuser. And if I agree and accuse God, then the very one that wants to help me, I don't find help. But if I can put aside all the voices that want me to point my finger at God, and say, oh Lord, will you help me in my pain? You open up your heart. You tell God the truth about the things you went through. You talk to him even if you're angry, whatever. He doesn't mind talk to him. He just wants his children to talk to him. And when you get it all out, just like the psalmist did or Job did, or if you look all through the scriptures, Isaac, Jacob, Abraham, they were all honest with God. There's an honest journey with him. When you do that, then he's able to pour his love back in. That's what he desires to do. But the first step is always to open my heart, not to pretend it didn't exist, not to act like the things that are in my heart aren't there, like say if I have anger or bitterness towards the people that wounded me. No, talk to God about the anger and bitterness. Be honest
1: with him, yes. Yes.
2: He doesn't like the things that happened to many of us in our upbringing. It wasn't his will. He hurts with the human race. He sent his son because he hurts with the human race. And he wants us, as we open up our hearts, as we talk to him, we give him that hurt and pain. God, I give this to you. I don't know what to do with it any longer. I've carried it for so long. Then you ask the last thing, Lord, now come and heal my broken heart. And you just sit before him and allow his love to to envelop you. How do you do that? Sometimes you'll put on worship music. Sometimes it'll just be in the silence of a journal uh, entry, but he will come if you look to him or he will send others your way that will help you in that direction. He's always good and he's always faithful. Mm. And
0: I I feel to pause here because there's some people listening uh, and your worldview doesn't make space to have an answer for the problem of evil. Uh, So you perhaps are listening to this because you're a seeker, and something inside of you knows that something's broken, something's off. You look around at the world, you see the depths of your own heart, and you know that this is not the way things should be. And yet, because you've been been brought up or raised with a secular worldview, you don't have a name for that or a reason for that. There's nothing to... Uh, You can't point to the cause of that brokenness. And I think throughout the course of this conversation, you're going to hear a lot of language like the enemy or Satan, or, or something like that. And we would just say, from our perspective, from a biblical worldview, we have an answer to the problem of evil. Mm-hmm. Uh, our Bible tells us about someone who's called the deceiver, and someone who's called the, the accuser, and that at the root of the destruction that we see on our planet at a macro level, and the pain that you're feeling in your life at a micro level, the stuff isn't accidental, and you weren't made to live like that. Uh, that there is hope but that one of the the great things that this devil this this accuser the satan has done and and very often particularly in secular circles uh, the devil is uh, it's like sat- satirical. Like he's turned into like this red dude with horns and a, <laughs> and a exactly. fork. A and a, fork, You know yeah. what I mean? Or like incredibly terrifying and it's like the exorcist movie or this kind of thing. Yes. And, and the devil will do anything so that we don't take him seriously. C.S. Lewis says, you know, when it comes to the devil, we either take him too seriously or we don't take him seriously enough. Yep. right? And there's a tension to be managed there. And I would just say to you that if you're someone who's not sure about Jesus or God, I would ask you, where do you think the brokenness comes from? And have you just resigned yourself to accept that that's just how it is? That life is just a mess. You are just going to be broken for the rest of your life. And you just got to deal with this and move on. And if that's the case, I'm hoping that as you listen to this conversation, you'll start to see that that's that's not your future. It doesn't have to be like that. There is healing, but part of that healing is, is about acknowledging that there is someone who's trying to break you down. And at the same time, there is someone who comes with the gift of building you up. Exactly. Um,
1: yeah, it it really gives us hope because I think that's what it, that's what we face today so much is hopelessness. Mm-hmm. Like people have given up. Like even when they go through painful things. Like uh, I I've I've been a follower of Christ now since 1986. Well, that doesn't mean I've gone without pain. In fact, I think I've had more pain after knowing Christ than I did before. Um, Different kind of pain, but pain nonetheless. But he is with me in the midst of it. Does that make sense? Like, I think sometimes we we hear Christians say, accept Jesus and everything's going to be Jim Dandy and so good and you'll only be blessed, right? But that's not true. But we do have someone who's with us. Like, we lost our grandson last year and he died of SIDS. And... He was the Sudden sudden Infant infant Death Syndrome. And he, he was 10 months old, or 10 weeks old, and just the most precious little boy, and we just loved him with our whole hearts, you know? And he just died, suddenly. You know, no reason. That's the thing about this disease, is there's no reason for it. And the pain we experienced was so profound. Like, the loss, not just of losing my grandson, whom I loved so much, but then watching the pain my daughter experienced in the process of losing her son, right? So it was kind of like a double whammy of grief and pain. But all I can tell you is, it was still painful, but the one thing we kept saying over and over again was, but he's so near. Like, all I can tell you was, God was near. And so, that we didn't become hopeless. He gave us hope in the midst of tremendous pain. Mm. And so that's that's what I think, I think that's what the healing journey is all about, is restoring hope to people who are incredibly hopeless, mm. if that makes sense. Yeah,
0: and, and I think just observing you guys this week, one of the things that's refreshing for me is that you are not afraid of the pain, and you, you almost provoke it. Mm-hmm. And and I think this is what, I had a conversation with friends about this before. There are certain streams of Christianity where we have no capacity for suffering Mm -hmm. because our theology is an escapist theology. It's like we just want anesthetic and we never actually want to go under the knife. We never want to go for surgery. We just want to keep taking painkillers, right? And so when things get hard, we medicate with another experience or another worship song or more hype or more something, anything to distract ourselves from the pain. And then when I look at Jesus... I don't see him shying away from pain. Yes. I see that our resurrection comes through the cross of Christ, not around the cross of Christ. Yes. Yeah, that actually the crucifixion becomes the mechanism for our liberation. Yes. Right? And when I see you guys in, in action doing what you do and in your ministry, you have that same heart. It's not afraid of the darkness. You like charge the darkness. Yes. You, know, you face it. You provoke it. Yes. Because it seems to me like your conviction is that the freedom is through,
1: not around it is through and we call it poking the pain. We actually poke or provoke, like you said, the pain because So it, we'll come up. Yes, because it's there anyways. So it's not like we're creating the pain. The pain's there. Yeah. Like people have had incredibly painful situations in their lives and the way they've dealt with it is like you said, cover it up, push it down, you know, build a wall around your heart. Stop trusting. And so what we do is in, in, in the ministry times particularly, first we teach about the mother wound. And then we, in the prayer time, we, we try to help them get in touch with that pain mm. because it's in there. Mm. But they have to let it up and out and into the cross. Right. They, they have to let Jesus assume that or take it on himself. And so that's what we do in the prayer time. So it can look pretty messy, And pretty uncomfortable. Uh, But we believe that's what gets you on the other side. And it was amazing. We went to a a training for children who've been uh, sex trafficked. And we just knew this from what the Holy Spirit taught us. Like we didn't have any formal training or counseling training or anything. And this psychiatrist, she's like a brain scientist. She was talking about how these children who've been deeply traumatized, they all have post-traumatic stress disorder, and they can talk about what happened to them like they're reading the news. You know, it's just completely removed from emotions. She said, and until we get them to connect the memory, the the logical memory with the emotions that occurred, they will never find true healing. Mm -hmm. And the way that they help people with PTSD is by helping him get in touch with the emotions that happen. And we thought, oh my goodness, that's what we've been doing for 25 years. We just didn't know that it was actually something that changes the way you think and causes real healing. So mm-hmm. it's quite amazing. Yeah
2: Jesus said he was acquainted with sorrow.
1: Yeah. He was a
2: man of grief in Isaiah. Mm-hmm. We don't we forget about that. He was acquainted with grief. Yeah. He was a man of sorrows. So he understood the human race and what the human race was going through and what he was even going through and experiencing. That's why he's our great high priest, because he, is, he understands the feelings of our infirmities. He understands our suffering. If he didn't understand, we would not be able to relate to him the way we do. We know he was abandoned, so he understands when I was abandoned. We knew he was rejected, so he understands when I was rejected. We know he died on a cross with great suffering, so he understands when I was beat or abused as a child or as a woman or as a teenager. He understands those things, and because of that, I can open my heart to the God who understands and give him my pain. Let him comfort me. He says, uh, you comfort others with the comfort that you have received because it says he comforts us in all our pain in Corinthians, all of our pain. There's not one thing he can't comfort us in. And when I find that comfort in Christ, I'm able to give it to another. If I pretend it's not there, then I really, I don't live from the heart. God is a heart God and he wants us to live from the heart. Mm. So I can be, I did have a neighbor that um, was from a movement of faith where you know, he had all his confessions on his refrigerator, and, you know, he talked about healing, 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 and everything.
1: Prosperity. Yeah. and Had a list of all the things he was asking God for. And
2: I said to, and to God, I'm still a newer Christian at that point, four or five years in the Lord, and I said, but God, you know, I just believe you. Like, I don't think I have to do all that. I just believe you. Now, I know there is such a thing as speaking his word, especially when the... When forces of evil or depression and oppression are coming against you, it helps to say, but I can do all things through Christ instead of thinking, oh, I can't do this any longer. If I can switch my thought life, which I can do it. We know they proven also that the mind can be remolded after 21 days of a new habit. And so God says, renew your mind so you can do his good, acceptable, and perfect work. Will in Romans 12 1. So now we've caught up in science. So I always look as my mind like a car and I think, oh, I can turn my car this way. Oh, life's terrible. I can't take it anymore. And again, if those are real feelings, I really give it to God. He turns those. But if I'm living, like I'm never to live in the pain. Like even when we are praying with people, it'd be very unhealthy if they lived pure heart every single day of their lives. No, it's a season, especially if you've never dealt with your pain, you're looking at your childhood, you're looking at the needs, you're looking at the void in your heart, you're opening your heart, really feeling it, and then giving it to God. So, back to the car situation, but say I've done all that, and now it's just real life which is mundane, real life which is hard. I can either turn my car and think how terrible life is, or I can turn my car, meaning my brain, with the steering wheels way, I always picture it, and think on what sort of things are good, what sort of things are just, what sort of things are a good report. God says think on these things. He never said he will do our job for us. My job is to watch my thought life, his job is to heal yeah. my broken heart. Yes, yeah, yeah.
0: Beautiful. And that, and that does push against some theology sometimes. Mm-hmm. And I think you spoke uh, strongly into <coughs> this, and I want to highlight this, because there's some people who have this perspective of, well, when I came to Jesus, I got, I, I got saved. Okay, right. so that's the language. I came to Jesus now, and now I'm done. It's like a one-time deal. And now I've arrived, you know. And you spoke quite profoundly about how, yes, it's true, we've been justified before Jesus. But now there's this ongoing process of, like, unpacking that healing. Speak a little bit into that. You've spoken about it here, but maybe just address that a bit directly.
2: Well, I just know that um, there was, uh, when I came to follow Jesus, he really opened my heart to him. I was in a Catholic church. I really didn't know about the Lord Um, other than going to church once in a while, we didn't go very much. Um, uh, but around this time in my life, I was asking God, what is life all about? Is there a Jesus? Why do people go to church and what does it matter anyways? In my whole life, all I knew was Catholic church. I never met one person from a different faith or anything. It's amazing to me that I was 21 years old when this happened and I never knew of anything else. So I, um, Start started asking God those questions, and about a month later, it was Good Friday, and I asked my mom to go to church, and she probably thought, like, you, you know, because I was always this stubborn kid. So we went in, and um, at the front of the church was a life-size wooden cross, no Jesus on it. It was only the last 15 minutes, and it, when you're Catholic, you sit usually for three hours to think about and reflect on the time he was on the cross. But we got there at the end, so I see this big wooden cross and all I can tell you is like a TV screen in front of me, is the only way I can explain it. I saw Jesus dying on that empty cross, but I saw him on the cross dying as if it was happening. It's like God took me back 2,000 years ago, and I saw it for my own eyes. And he answered my questions. Oh, it's not about church, it's about him. He is real. He did die for us. This is what life's all about. And I walked out of that church, I, uh, God also spoke to me, he said you looked everywhere else for love, and I loved you. I love you and I died for your sins and no one ever told me love me. I was looking for love and I walked out of church so different. I never drank again. Um, my life was completely changed, which we could always get into that later. And I was a different woman, right? But I still had hurt and pain from my upbringing. I had abuse of upbringing. I had lots of stepfathers. My mom was a partier. We went through things that other people, I mean, the, uh, People can't even imagine of abuse and drugs and sex and seeing things you should never see. Well, though my spirit was alive that day, I was so new, so different. But as I started my journey, there was still pain inside. There was still bitterness that I still had to deal with. There was still a journey of the heart that God said, Oh, Donna, you're so new inside your spirit. But now your heart and your soul, I'm going to restore your soul, Psalm 23. um, David said, I will restore your soul. God was putting me now in a process of restoring the hurt, the pain, the wrong ways I saw myself, the lies I believed about myself. That was a journey, and some of that process was quick in certain seasons of my life, and some of those processes were long, like after I married my husband and I carried pain uh, uh, towards men from my abuse and it was his words and his consistent love that healed that wound in my life and,
1: and here's the thing like I, I've heard people say oh but Paul said I i, um, all things I leave away. all thing, all things have passed away behold I look uh, all things become new I look forward and I press forward the goal of Christ you know and I leave everything else behind. But if you look at the context of what Paul was talking about, he was talking about his accomplishments. Mm -hmm. See, Paul could have stood on his self-righteousness. So he wasn't talking about our whole past. And, And the truth is, Jesus said, you will know the truth and the truth will make you free. What we do is we help dispel or expose the lies that we believed either about God, ourselves, or the world around us and others so that we can finally see truth. And then he shows us truth, and we go, oh my goodness. We see everything so differently, right? So it, it, there, I know there are faith walks that believe in instant sanctification. Sure. I, I, can't, I can't fathom that, I, because I see the imperfections in each one of us. And so I believe sanctification is a process. It's the renewing of the mind. It's the healing of the heart we we are become new without a doubt when we accept Christ but he's still transforming us it says that he transforms us from glory to glory it's like steps going up steps mm. so he's transforming us into the image of his son and that's transforming is a an ongoing word it's mm. not here you go once once you're done mm. you know i lay hands on you we're all finished now Right? So it is a process.
2: Right, grow in the grace and the knowledge of God. We grow. We grow, yes. I know that I'm not the same woman I was 10 years ago, nor 10 years before that, or 10 years before that. I've known the Lord for about 30 years. I see there's been changes in my life. I see that I used to be a woman full of rage and anger, and now I'm not that woman. My kids knew a mother that handled them wrong in many ways, and now they all have said, Mama, you are so different. And I credit that through Jesus, walking with him in the journey, being open-hearted, looking at myself, not covering things up, asking for forgiveness when I hurt someone, forgiving myself and growing in Jesus, giving myself grace that I want to give to others. One of my biggest uh, reasons the Lord showed me why I had rage was I had such deep self-hatred. But I tried everything. Everything. If if a woman was going to overcome uh, anger, it was going to be Donna Cole. I I am such self-willed type A personality. I'd get an hour before my kids. I'd pray, Lord, just help me. Don't let me lose my temper. I'd just sp- spend an intercession. I would, you know, scriptures. I would think, okay, you're going to count to ten. You're going to, oh my goodness. And then I'd still lose my temper. And then God started showing me about. 14 years into the process. Now, again, I still wasn't the same, but I st- certainly wasn't uh, absolutely didn't lose my temper anymore. But it was around 14 years um, of having my children, even. Um, the Lord started showing me, Donna, the root is self hatred. And He started to show me that He loved me even in my failings. See, I could not believe He loved me even when I failed. But it was when I finally can learn, like, God, I just lost my temper. Hold me here. God, I just treated my kids so wrongly. Hold me here. It says in Song of Solomon chapter 1, you are dark, but you are lovely. So even in my darkness, even in my ugliness, he loves me. I had to learn he loves me. And, um, And then also one other thing was happening at this time in my life. He started teaching me offensive prayers. I used to lose my temper, ask God to forgive me, think terrible about myself for the terrible way I just reacted, and then forget about till the next time I lost my temper. At this time, the Lord started to show me, Donna, um, you should pray ahead of time. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. So these were daily prayers, right? My daily needs forgive us our sins, even as we forgive those who sin against us and keep me from temptation and deliver me from the evil one. So many times I was leaning on self. Self can never rescue self. Mm -hmm. And so I started praying ahead of time, Lord, keep me from temptation. And I started praying this prayer, Lord, give me your love so I can give it back to you and to others. Thank you for who I am to you. Let me see and love myself through your eyes. I didn't pray just one time. It became, along with about 10 other prayers, consistent prayers. I never knew in the charismatic move, you always just hear, believe, and it's done. And I was listening to this teaching by a man named Mike Bickle. And in that teaching, he talk, talked about, oh, make me a person of one thing. But then when he got to, because he's taken the word fellowship and make, making these 10 prayers, when he got to S. He said, Free me from defensive, angry, and foolish speech. And then he said something that changed my life. He said, Through the months and years, as you pray these prayers, you will see that God will change the way you speak. And I thought, What? No one ever told me to keep praying. And so, what the Lord was showing me through the Our Father and through these prayers is that I was leaning on myself to change myself. I can never change myself. For the first time, I was looking to the true God, the invisible God, the one that can do things for me that I cannot do for myself. I was turning my eyes towards him, and he was changing me along with breaking that self-hatred. He had to do both and together. And I gave—I started to give myself grace for failing instead of beating myself up, and I was going through a transformation process. And that's 14 years into knowing Jesus, serving him fully, but not... Still growing in my faith, still finding keys on how to live before God. Yeah,
0: and I, and I think this is one thing I really respect about you guys. Um, watching your ministry is that you're not inviting people to a journey that you yourselves have not walked. Mm. And I think for me, there's just such deep integrity in that. Like as you shared your stories and what you'd been through, like you guys, you have um, you've taken the knocks and you've fought the fight in a way ahead of people so that they could walk into that same freedom. Uh, Tom, maybe could you tell us a little bit about what that looked like for you and your story?
1: Yeah, um, my my childhood, I always say it wasn't this crazy life. Um, Like Donna's, so much mayhem and chaos. Mine was just quiet dysfunction, (laughs) right? My dad was an alcoholic, and if you've ever been part of an alcoholic home... You just don't talk about things. You, you, you can talk about fun things and laugh and those kind of things, but you don't really talk about your heart. So there was just this underlying, you know, you, we don't go deep. So we, we didn't go incredibly deep. And I was a super sensitive young man, boy, um, very emotional. And um, I believe that's why God made me. Tenderhearted, emotional, creative. But it didn't fit in with what a boy should be at that time. And, uh, and so I didn't fit in with other boys. I, I feel like my father didn't understand me because I was very emotional and i cried a lot. And he was pretty stoic at that point. And so I just never fit in uh, the world of men. And then I was sexually abused twice by two older uh, men, uh, one a man, one an older boy. And that just further confused me so that when I went through puberty, It sexualized a a need that was deep inside of me. And so when I went through puberty, I found myself attracted to men instead of to women. And uh, that was the 70s. It was not cool to be out and proud. And Mm -hmm. so I just lived a secret life. At the age of 19, I came out of the closet. I had my coming out. I told my friends, told a lot of my family, not my my dad, um, just because that was not the kind of relationship we had. and um, I jumped in with both feet. I thought, this is who I am. They said, you're born this way. I thought, yep, that's, that's the way I feel. I feel like it's as far as I can look back, I felt different, and so, um, but it really didn't satisfy the deep longings of my heart. I was miserable, and I didn't have Christ in my life. I, I didn't, God was not a part of my daily life in growing up, and so I, I just sought to fill it with drugs, alcohol, sex. Uh, ju- if I could just find the right man, then I'll be happy. And none of that satisfied. And then started looking into new age mysticism, transcendental meditation, astral projection, Buddhism, Hinduism. And again, it didn't satisfy the deep longings of my heart. Um, I love there, there's a scripture, I think it's in Ecclesiastes, Ecclesiastes, it said, God has placed eternity in men's hearts. So there's this knowing, a knowledge in your heart that's already built in that there's something bigger. And I think I knew that deep down inside because my heart was telling me so. And uh, it was through the witness of a woman, a Christian that I worked with, just, I mean, such love, incredible kindness. Um, She just constantly showed me Christ's love in it it just caused me to be broken and want what she had and i accepted christ and I gosh i would love to say that and and then everything was great (laughs) but it wasn't and i really did have to go through a lot of healing and and i i did still have attractions to men Mm -hmm. and what do you do with that in the evangelical church world of the 80s right um i don't think they were equipped no they weren't Mm -hmm. equipped but Honestly, my journey didn't come through a book, a program. It didn't come through uh, a healing group. There were none that I knew about at that time. Uh, it came through healthy relationship in the body of Christ and the mm-hmm. prayers of the saints and um, through some gifted people who did know how to pray for God to heal my heart. Yeah. And then and, talk
2: about the scripture that God showed you when you realized, because you were going to live a celibate life. And then, Yeah, you know, I, just thought
1: I, I just thought in my mind... Well, you know, this may just be my thorn, like Paul's thorn, and that you know I would just always be attracted, but I just would dedicate my life to Christ, and I'd be a missionary and just give my whole life to Him. And then I read 1 Corinthians chapter six, verse nine, and uh, it was King James, so that's how I mm-hmm. memorized it. But it said, "Know you not that such will not inherit the kingdom of heaven? No drunkards, nor liars, nor adulterers, no swindlers, nor homosexuals will inherit the kingdom of heaven." And I thought, shoot, I got four out of five, you know. Uh, but I kept reading, and yeah. we sometimes don't do that with the Bible. Right. We've got to keep reading. And I kept reading, and verse 11 said, And such were some of you, but you were washed and sanctified by the blood of his son. And I thought, oh, some. Were some of you. Past tense. So there were gay people in Corinth, and they changed. And I had hope. If they could, I can. Wow. And so I'd never heard of that that somebody had changed, but I had hoped that I could. Mm. And he did. I mean, it took years. It really did take years. It wasn't an easy process. Donna transformed, bam, in a moment, concerning her sexuality and her um, attractions. We
2: didn't go into that. So I also uh, thought I was born a homosexual. And so really at eight, I never dated anyone because really, be, I had a lot of abuse. My father was abusive to my mom and my, my sisters and myself. And then at age, when I was eight, they were married 13 years, my mom divorced. Then my mom uh, married a man that was 10 times more abusive than my father ever was. Then came, he was only around two or three years. He um, ended up murdering two people. He was very abusive, so he's in prison right now. So then uh, the next stepfather came, two or three years. He wasn't abusive like the other two, but he molested me and my sisters. Then after that, my mom just had men come and go out of our lives. So what I'm trying to say is I did not have a good upbringing or a good uh, uh, look Role at, model. yes, of, mm. of men. Mm. And so like Tom was talking about, I started to build walls around my heart. And my wall became I will trust no one. And so I never dated through high school because when I make a, when you make a promise to yourself, it's – there. And I meant that promise. And so if you can't trust anyone, how can you let anyone in? And so at 18, though, I was working with all these people and we'd always go out and party after. And this 28 year old man put something in my drink. I don't know what, but the next morning, I don't remember anything. And, um, you know, I was uh, in bed with him. And then we went out for like three months. And that's when I came to realize I cannot receive anything from a man and I'm gay and I'm born this way, I told my mom and went headfast for the next four years of my life, surrounded myself with my gay friends, um, gay bars, everything of my life was um, in the homosexual arena. And then um, that's around the time, um, I remember I went into a gay bar one night and I was about to go in and I thought, there must be something more to life than this and it wasn't the gay bar, it could have been just a straight bar. It was about making money. I also had another inner promise to myself that I was going to make it in life. I was not going to be poor like my mother. And so I took robotics in college. I was top of the class. So by 19, I was already working as a lab technician in General Motors. So I made all this money. Then on the weekends, I'd go party my my uh, heart out, and then go back to work, make lots of money. I had lots of friends. I when I came to Christ, I was not at the bottom. I was at the top. I had lots of friends, lots of money, but I was so empty. And so I remember going to that bar saying, there must be something more to life than this, must be something more than just partying. And that's when I asked those four questions I talked about earlier, what is life all about and is Jesus real and so forth. Then I go into that church, I see Jesus die on the cross like I talked about earlier. And when he said to me, you looked everywhere else for love, but I loved you and I died for your sins. He showed me that little girl who so wanted her father to love her and he didn't, her mother to love her and he didn't, then that next stepfather, the next stepfather, the other men in our lives, no one loved me, and I felt that, I felt so unwanted, and so when I gave him my life that day in church, something happened that usually does not happen for people, um, it's like when you hear of an alcoholic once in a while you hear that story where they never struggle with alcohol again they, the day they gave themselves to Christ well the day I gave myself to Christ the day I found love is the day I never struggled with homosexuality again wow. it was amazing to me I walked out of the church I never drank again never um, did drugs again and I knew I wasn't gay anymore mm. but I also was used to, for four years, I had memories living, you know, living with women, having sex with women. Um, my whole life was with women. I had an identity. I was used to looking at women a certain way. And so right after that, I had no Christians in my life. I talked about that too. So I didn't understand I was born again. I did not know that terminology or that I became a follower of Christ. All I knew is I found him. Like I went to church once in a while and I had head knowledge. That day I always say I crossed over into faith. Mm. I truly said I believe He's giving. I gave him my life. And so um, what the Lord showed me, he was so good, that's when I learned about my thought life. Renew your mind that you can do God's good, acceptable, perfect, well. Think on what sort of things are good. The things I talked about earlier. Cast down vain imaginations. And the Lord started teaching me, because I had no Christians in my life, Donna, you are used to thinking this way. Now you need to, again, I always pictured the car, turn your car a different way. And so every day to go to work, I'd pass the gay bar that I spent four years every night at and every weekend. And so when I would go past my gay bar, I'd literally turn the other way, and I wouldn't let my mind go to the memories. I wouldn't let my mind go to the the thoughts and the feelings and all the things that I experience, I would think on what sort of things are good, just of a good report. So it could have been a flower. It didn't matter to me. I think about a flower and how beautiful it is. Or I might think about scripture. I can do all things through Christ, but I wouldn't let my mind go there. And what was different about my journey, I think that other people forget um, that so believe that they're homosexual and a Christian is I so knew that my temptations did not... Define you. Yes, it did not define me. I knew I wasn't gay anymore. It didn't matter what my mind was used to thinking. I so knew I wasn't gay anymore. And now I was in a process of changing my thinking. It took a little while, I had certain habits, but it didn't matter, I always tell people, it doesn't matter what you're struggle with. If I was a s- straight girl and I slept with a bunch of guys and I had a lust issue towards guys, I would have to do the same process. God is, we are not a victim. I have to do that no matter what, I sh- if I'm an alcoholic, I'm going to have to turn my thought process. I'm going to have to say no to certain things. It's all the same with God. God was not asking any more of me than he asked any of my other friends that came to Christ but struggled in different areas we all have our struggle. In my brokenness, I thought another woman would fill the deep void in my heart. Through Jesus' love, I came to so realize it would not be in another woman's arms. It wouldn't even be in another man's arms if I was, went that away, It was through Jesus first, him filling my heart and my life. And then four years later, he brought my husband. But that was because he brought my, me my husband. I literally could have lived a single life for God. And I, 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 could have found him in that, but in our life, he decided to bring a uh, uh, husband our way. We had four children, which to this day we do not take that for granted because neither of us ever thought we would Never have children. Never thought
1: we'd have children. So, four children, five grandchildren. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's a, it's a blessing. Yeah.
2: And we've been married uh, 31, 31 years, years this, this year, this December year. Yeah. of yeah. nine of 2009. Yeah.
0: And I'm so grateful for that. Eh? <laughs> I mean, I don't know you guys that well. Hopefully that'll change with time. Yeah, but um, yes. you guys are a gift. You're such a gift to the world and a gift to the church and a gift to me and my life. God's healed me in profound ways over these So three, what did God do, do for today. you
2: through pure heart? Whew! Uh,
0: so I think for me, here's, here's, there's so much, so much. And we, we know we can throw this around, but uh, so much that stands out. two things that stand out for me profoundly from this week of my own reflection. Um when we were doing femininity, true femininity, and uh, we went out as men and we were praying together and doing this thing of confession, which is also beautiful, such beautiful confession. And we came in, and as we came in, I mean, we came into a war zone. I I don't know how else to say that, you know, and without cheapening or dishonoring that moment, it was really, really intense, really intense. Um, And as I walked in, my first sort of reflexive response was that I need to leave. I need to get out of this room. I feel like I'm intruding here. I feel like like this is too much. And I just sat with that for a while, and I felt like this impression from the Lord saying, no, no, I actually want you to take all this in. Yes. I want you to look. I want you to see. Um, because I want to leave you almost with a mark of what happens when you partner with, with a toxic way of treating women. Yes, Like Matt, somewhere else in the world, there are women who are experiencing the same kind of emotion or have because of what you have done, Matt, mm. or because of what you have been complicit in, what you've partnered with, uh, both actively and passively, right? What you've said is okay. And I think standing there, uh, seeing these women who are so brave and so courageous.
2: And what he was seeing was the women were on their faces crying in pain for the world where they've been sinned against in their femininity, where they have been wounded, taken advantage of, molested, raped, or just um, uh, thought lower than in their, feminine, in their femininity, and they were weeping and asking God to heal their broken hearts, and we were washing their feet. That's what he was walking into.
1: And, and you know, we used to uh, have the men leave the room uh, just to give the women that space. And I, I felt like, oh, they're missing out on something. Like, the the men need to see the pain yeah. that women have been caused, uh, that men have caused women. Yeah. And so we brought them back into the room so that they could witness the result of our our masculinity so, used wrongly.
0: Yeah, and, and, and I just want to affirm that in you, right? Like, I, I feel like that's such a, a right thing that you allowed us to do. Because at first, it, it, there was a shame thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, at first, I was ashamed because I just... As I looked at them, I saw myself and I thought, I have done this. I could right now bring out a list of women where I've treated them like this. And not only that, but... Every time I clicked on that website. Every time I looked at that magazine. And not only that, every time I preferred the more beautiful woman in the room to the less beautiful woman in the room, yeah. uh, with parentheses. like, And every time that I partnered with false ideas of what beauty and femininity are. And every time I attached value of a woman to her waist size or her bust size or whatever that looked like. Yes. Yeah. Every time that I said yes to these toxic ways that women have to they wake up and they got to fight the onslaught of this every single day, day and and every time that I partnered with that I was being complicit in this I was creating these tears I was creating and so at first there was this sense of like real shame on me and then I felt the Lord meet me in that and he was like no no it's not about shame it's okay so so there was there was like a personal ministry that was kind of happening while this was all happening then what was interesting, as I followed myself in that space, is it shifted to anger. I really, really angry with the devil. Mm. Again, guys, they're, they're, the devil's real. And, yes. the, and the Bible describes the Satan, the deceiver, the accuser, as a lion that's, that's roaring and moving around wanting to steal, kill, and destroy yes. you. Like, he's not playing around. His intentions are not subtle. His deepest desire is to rip us apart. Like, that's what it is. And you stand in that room and you hear the wailing of these women and you realize that that's exactly his intention. Mm. And, I, and there was like this, um, what I feel like was a righteous indignation that rose up inside yes. of me. I was so angry at him. Yeah. And I was so, uh, I was furious. That he would do this because, you, again, you've got to remember, I've been with these people now for five weeks. Yes. So these are my friends, right? Mm-hmm. I've walked with them through the forest. We've spoken about deep things. We've prayed together. These are not just abstract people. These are my friends. And yeah, I'm looking true. at the pain that this 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 Satan has caused in their lives and then used me, manipulated me to be part of that. And yes. I was so angry with that, right? And then I feel like there was this, this, this third movement, which was like, Um, almost like a right responsibility Mm. where I felt like okay God I need to make a decision in this moment as to what I'm going to partner with in my life Like which story am I gonna be part of writing? And if I'm gonna be part of writing a story of healing, that's not gonna come by accident. I've got to actively choose to resist these stories. I've gotta actively choose to put the magazine down, to turn off the TV. If I need help, I've got to get accountability. I've got if I've got to put filters on, I've got to put filters on. I've got to stop, you know, as men, we tolerate such a low level of holiness in our circles. And you and, and I can't afford to uh, tolerate that anymore I can't afford to allow that to be true in my life I've got to lift myself up to God's level of invitation when it comes to holiness right yeah. and and not only that but but we were talking about healthy masculinity like I've got to stand in the gap for women as well. That's part of my role. Yeah. And so when I see, when I'm around a, a barbecue or a bra in South Africa with a bunch of men and there's degrading conversation about women, I can't just kind of shrug and smile and laugh it off and go, it's just boys being boys. It's, no, no, we, we actually we need more from our men, you know, and, and I've got to be part of the voice that that calls us to that in the small ways that I can do that. So I feel like for me, it was this interesting movement of shame, anger, and then like a beautiful responsibility that started to weigh on me I started to feel, and not in a bad way like I feel like there's a right weight right. You, know, Healthy. you know there's Healthy. a right weight okay yes. and, and this is part of moving from boyhood to manhood mm-hmm. when we we're a child we just we, we want this carefree life free of responsibility and we kind of shrug off anything that feels a bit weighty on us but it's like going to gym right if you never put on any weights in the machine you're never going to get any stronger and so when we grow up into masculinity there's a so God put some right weights on us so that we'll step into some of those weights and start to lift them, you know? Yes. And I feel like there's a maturity that, uh, the beginnings of which I think started to stir in me as I watched that, yeah. So
2: I
1: don't know if you guys have thoughts around that as you listen in. No, I think it's that's really,
2: that's exactly what we do want to happen.
1: Yes, that, that's the exact um, result that we pray will happen every time. Mm. Is that men will uh, awaken to see how we've partnered in seeing women as less than. Mm. And seeing them as objects and objectifying them, and um, I think watching them in their pain is what really is really powerful. Um, in fact, one time we were ministering, and it was a very large DTS, 150 students. DTS um, discipleship, discipleship training, training school. school, and and so there were there were 150 students, and so the women were up front, and, and I could tell there was there was some weeping, but it. It wasn't all that powerful. And the men, I watched, I was standing at the back and the men were just kind of looking at their watches, looking at their feet, just kind of shuffling. And I, I thought, wait a second. We just had confession the day before. I heard their confessions. These men have used women sexually and profoundly. And all of a sudden I started getting so angry. Um, and and I, I mean, I'm not used to like that kind of anger. I'm just not an angry person. But I started getting so angry and I'm like, God, I'm so mad right now. And I knew that God was saying, so am I. Mm -hmm. And all of a sudden, it just rose out of me. It was like this this trumpet blast of, I screamed at the top of my lungs, it's not okay, it's not okay. And as I screamed that at the top of my lungs, the women began to wail. And the men fell on their faces yeah. and began to weep in repentance. And I think because they didn't get that peace that you did, that they, did, they didn't just go from, oh, this is so sad to see them hurt. But, oh, I'm, I'm angry mm-hmm. at what the enemy's done to them and what my actions have done.
2: Yeah.
1: Um, and so, yeah, that's...
2: And we do have it. Pure Heart, if anyone needs this. The whole seminar is on YouTube. If you put in pure heart intensive, you will see all eight teachings and the ministry time. So you can sit before God in your own um, pain or uh, the wounds that are in your heart and give those to God. So the, ch- the chapters cover um, admitting your need because we all first, you, the first and foremost, you have to say you have a need. Then comes mother wound. Again, we're not pointing fingers. It's just our moms and their weakness have um, maybe not met all of our needs or loved us the way we needed to be loved or might have been more broken like my mom and even have entered into abuse or neglect. And then comes father wound with the same thing. And then comes confession where the enemy likes to point fingers at you when you know you've done wrong and God wants to... Feel shame. Yes, God wants that shame. He wants to set you free from that. And then comes true femininity, what we're talking about now. How did God really create women? And then true masculinity. How did God create and design men to stand up in their manhood. And then comes forgiveness, always at the end of the week. Because unless I went through my pain, unless I've gone through my bitterness, unless I've acknowledged that people have wounded me, I can, I can pray the good Christian prayer, oh, I forgive, but it won't do anything because it's just, ooh, that's what good Christians do. You're, you know you're supposed to. God never said to forgive from the head. He said from the heart. Yep. And so I believe Pure Heart's designed so that by the time you get to the forgiveness, You're able to forgive because you know somebody loves you. You know somebody came and put their arms around you in your pain. We didn't just discard it and say, oh, it didn't matter. No.
1: Get over it, get up, and move on. Yeah, the
2: reason you have to forgive is because people truly hurt you. And so we designed it at the end so that by that point you know you have been understood, you've been loved, you've been heard, you've expressed... And you're able now to release the people that have wounded you deeply so that you are set free. Forgiveness is for your yeah. heart. And then lastly, um, oh, and we do always say forgiveness and trust are two different things because that holds people back. Just because you forgive someone does not need, you have to trust them. Forgiveness is for your heart. Trust is something someone has yeah, to earn. And then the
1: last chapter is the true self. And that's who who am I after all of this? After facing my wounds getting my healing who did god really make me to be Mm -hmm. yeah so
2: we have a book um you can also get on amazon called pure heart by tom and donna cole c-o-l-e so the best way to do it is to read a chapter then listen to the teaching on youtube and then if there's the ministry times you just sit before the lord and we've gotten so many emails of people being set free Mm -hmm. from just doing that process people being set free just by the book but I believe it's even deeper if you can do both and because it stirs up the stuff that we pushed down our yeah. whole lives. Yeah. And if I get in touch with that and get in touch with my true heart, then I can truly give it to God and does not have to control my life now.
0: Yeah, right. And I, what I'll actually do, guys, is I'll put that link uh, on the podcast. Yeah. So if you go to the Podbean podcast, you'll see the links there both to the YouTube channel and to where you can get the book. And my my encouragement to you with the book would be to say, I've read it and... That there are like prayer activities that are in the book yes, and there are reflection is. activities. And my encouragement would be if you go through the book, don't just read through it. It's very easy to just read it at a superficial level. Yeah. Really engage with it. Really go through those act- activities. Tom and Don have done such a beautiful job at giving you tools that will try and lead you into these places of freedom. And ultimately, nobody can force you into freedom, right? Yeah, like, no. You've either got to come ready. Uh, you've got to come ready to face the, the fear yeah. or not, you know. Um, and then there's a closing thought, and I, and I thought this would be a good way to kind of wrap it up uh, today because it ties into facing fear. And I think this is probably true for women as well, but I can only speak as a man and, and our experience today. We looked at the true masculinity thing. And we were actually talking in the break around how very often vulnerability is seen in feminine terms. Mm -hmm. And actually how, you know, as men, we we have a lot of bravado around how courageous we are. And yet the thing we're most afraid of is this vulnerability issue. And so it's the one thing we never seem to find the courage to face, right? Uh, And today we just saw a, a group of men in a circle, like on their faces before their father, yeah. just like pouring themselves out in this inc- incredibly, what I found, incredibly courageous yes. and incredibly masculine. Like yes. it was a strong moment. It was yes. a powerful moment. There was a bit of a, almost like a warrior spirit around it, yeah. but incredibly vulnerable yeah. and incredibly tender vulnerable. and sensitive, you know, yes. Would you speak into a little bit of that.
1: Yeah. yeah. I, I, you know, I think that the, the issue is that we've come to believe that men are supposed to be just logical and not in touch with their hearts. But if we see our example, Jesus, he was so in touch with his heart. Mm-hmm. He was so in touch with that that side, that soft side. You know, like we see him, it, it, he talks about, he looks over Jerusalem, weeps, oh how I long to gather them like chicks under my wings, right, so we see that, that other side of him. And um, just in the ministry time today, it was so powerful. Right. Um, where men first confessed their passivity and how, how they've given in to just letting life roll over them and haven't taken an initiative, but then to confess their fears to each other, oh, that was so powerful. Um, because we're, we're, we're it, it really was like, to picture this, we were all in a circle and I felt like we were just like vomiting our fears into the center of that circle. And then we just said, no more. Mm-hmm. This this will not. But how vulnerable to tell other men yes. what we're afraid of. Yeah. And so that was so powerful. Mm-hmm. And then to share our wounds with each other. Again, super, super powerful. That's not something that comes naturally to men. Yeah. And so when we did that together, I just think it bonded us. You know, It was a powerful bond. And like you said, it was a warrior spirit. It was like, we're not going to tolerate this anymore. In ourselves. Um, so it was, to me, it was one of the most beautiful ministry times I've, I've been blessed to be a part of. It's what I think God really wants in us, because true masculinity isn't afraid of those things. Yeah,
0: And I think, um, you know, you raise this beautiful picture of Jesus, and you asked the question, when was the most sort of uh, courageous time, or in Jesus, a masculine. masculine time? And a lot of us, uh, you, you know, the immediate picture is like the whip in the temple and the, all those things. Yes. And yet, uh, when you think about Jesus on the cross... And you think about the courage it took for him to choose it, knowing what was coming. Yes. As he's wrestling in Gethsemane, there, and he's he literally, didn't want to. you know, didn't want overcoming it. his fears. You know, if he there's anything that could pass me, anywhere. He's way like, I hey, could, if there's you
1: know, anywhere you can do something yeah. else, God, I'll take that exactly out. Right. Yeah.
0: And yet he faces that fear yeah. for the sake of others. Yet not my will, but yours be done. Incredible, because as he as he goes into his deepest darkness. There's a liberation on the other side, not just for him, but for for all of us, right? And he could have called a legion
1: of angels down to
0: just eradicate every one of them, but he didn't do it. And I, I think for me, the picture there, guys, if you're listening to this, is to say... Uh, let me say uh, this has been a scary week for me (laughs) it's been scary and i've i've done a lot of this work like Raj, if you're listening to this thanks for tpm thanks for all the tissues while i was crying i love you
2: um
0: like i've done a lot of this work but it went deeper this week it went deeper and god carried on calling me to like higher levels of healing and higher levels of accountability and that's scary like it's a scary thing. And I would just say, if you're a man listening to this and you know, as we've been talking, there are things that are stirring inside of you. You've been partnering with wrong ways of seeing women uh, and you are you're complicit in the things that are breaking down our society. I know it's scary to face that stuff. But if there was ever a time for you to step up, if there was ever a time for you to ask, access your masculinity and move into courage, it's, it's for you to turn and face the darkness that's hiding yeah. in your own heart, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and God meets you there, man. He rushes into that space totally. just to lift you up, you know. And for
2: the women yes. who are still wounded or hurt or do not see themselves the way God designed them in his beauty and in his love and carrying his heart, God also, if there's ever been a time where we need women to rise up, it's now also. Not in that way of, ah, uh, we're better than men and, you know, we're going to take over, but in that way that I am a co-laborer in Christ mm-hmm. and that together we, we, uh, picture the fullness of who Jesus is. So women, we need your hearts healed. We need you to step into the places of who you are, and we need you to be in that calling, whether it's a a mom at home where your heart is fully open to your children and to your husband, whether you have a ministry, whether you're a CEO, whatever you find yourself in this stage of life, God needs you to have an open heart, your walls down, knowing Jesus' love deep inside, and if you do not know him, He wants to come to let you know that he's the greatest lover that you could ever have. He's the one that will love you unconditionally. He's the one that will accept you fully no matter where you're at. He's the one that you can share your heart openly with, and he will never reject you. So I just encourage you to open that book or listen to the um, podcast or listen to those um, YouTube videos and allow God to go deep in your heart also.
0: Mm. It's good. So good. <laughs> yeah, that's a moment for you. Somebody's listening to this, and as we've been speaking, this has been stirring deep in your heart. Mm-hmm. Uh, sometimes Jesus meets you through a podcast, hey? Mm-hmm. Yes.
2: God wants to restore identity. That's what I'm hearing. He wants to restore your identity. Yeah. What was stolen from you, he wants to give back. He wants to reawaken who you are, how he created you to be. Yeah.
1: Yeah, we don't
0: usually do this uh, on the podcast, but I want to ask if we could close in prayer. Yes. And Tom, would you pray for the men listening to this? Yeah. Whatever God stirs in your heart to pray. Yeah. And Donna, then if you just pray for the woman listening to this.
2: Yeah.
0: And if if as you're listening, your heart has been stirred. I already feel like this is a moment. And if as you're listening, your heart is stirring a man or woman, I just encourage you now to open up and just receive this prayer as Tom and Donna pray over us.
1: Yeah. So, Lord, I do pray... I pray for the men who've been wounded and hurt and used and abused. I pray for the men who have done the hurting and have used and have abused. I pray for all the men listening right now, Lord, that you would bring them to a place of acknowledging their desperate need before you and also, Lord, acknowledging the hurt that's in their own hearts. Lord, help us to face our pain. Help help us to bring it before you. Help us to be like David and just, uh, Lord, vomit out what's, what's really in our hearts. Just really be able to be honest with you about what's in there um, and with each other. Lord, give us other men in our lives that we can be real with. And I just pray for healing for those men listening right now. I pray you heal their hearts, that you You bind the the shame out of their hearts and into the cross. Lord, that you would cause them to feel clean and new again. That you would restore to them the identity that you intended for them before the foundation of the world, Lord. That that they would walk in confident masculinity that's not uh, a, a strength and an authority for themselves, but first for you and for their families and for the community around them. Teach us how to uh, see ourselves as a good gift to the body as men and teach us how to walk that out every day.
2: Lord, I pray for every woman listening, Father. I pray for the wounds and hurts that are deep inside. I pray for that lonely woman who's looked everywhere else for love like I did, searching, hoping, wishing somebody would love her. Lord, I ask that you would go to the deepest places of her heart, Lord, I pray for each person listening, whether they're a mom and just feeling like they're invisible at home, taking care of the kids, exhausted, whether there is someone out in the marketplace, Father. I pray, Father, for the single woman. I pray for the married woman who's alone and feels lonely, Father. I pray for that single woman who's longing for someone's arms around them. Lord, I pray for that woman, Father, that is like me that was like me that's looking to another woman to try to fill those needs deep down. Lord, I ask that they would all come to the realization that those needs will never be met with through any other man except through Jesus Christ. Lord, I ask that you would come, caress them, hold them, let them know they're not forgotten. Let them know you always remember them even when other ha- other people have forgotten. Let them know you're not the wounder but you are the rescuer. Lord, I ask that you would come to them. Lord, I ask that you would show yourself to them. Show you, yourself to them throughout the day. Show yourself to them through a, a a glance of an eye when they see a flower or a beautiful sky. Remind them that you are there. Lord, I ask they would open up that Bible that's been dusty, and Lord, open up to Psalm 27 or Psalm 124, or, or Lord, just something that, catches their heart and let them remember he loves me. Lord, let them put on, all of a sudden a worship song would catch their heart and they would remember he loves me. I hear him say, I love you. I've not not forgotten you. I've inscribed you in the palm of my hand. I remember you. I will never forget you. I do not forsake you. Those that have walked away from him, he says, I do not forget you. I'm waiting arms open wide for you come to me i just hear him say come to me you who are weary and heavy laden and i will give you rest for your souls lord will you caress each one listening will you let them know the reality of christ in their lives will you show yourself strong on their behalf and will you be their protector And Lord, send someone alongside them that will represent who you are, that will put that arm around them, Father. I ask that in the name of Jesus Christ. I ask that they would recognize and realize you're with them in the journey. Yes. In Jesus' name. Amen.
1: Amen. Amen.
0: And uh, if anyone wants to reach out and get hold of you guys, how could they do that?
1: Yeah, so they go to our website. Actually, our book is there and the videos are there. Um, it's www.pureheart.rest. Okay, awesome. Social media: Instagram, Facebook. Yeah, Facebook, uh, Instagram. Mm, good, personally, but we got to get, get better at Instagram. But <laughs> yeah. But Facebook, we have uh, Tom and Donna Cole page and uh, uh, Pure Heart page. Yeah, That's awesome. yeah. Guys, thank you so much for your time. Hey, thank, thank you. you. It's been great getting to know you. this So week. good. Yeah. yeah.
0: Hopefully, this won't be the first. I don't day. think so. Yeah. I don't think so cool guys thanks for listening uh, we love you a lot uh, if you want to chat you can get hold of Tom and Donna or get hold of me mattlewis.co.za let's, let's stay in touch this is always about building community even if it's just online and uh, we, re- we uh, all three of us at this table we are rooting for you yes, yes. we back you we are we believe in you yeah. and this is hard and it can be scary but you can do it and Jesus meets you and more than us he believes in you yes. and he is for you uh, you can be free, I promise. You can be free. Yeah. So don't settle for less than that. For this love is resurrecting.